beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, Sammy Yunan. I'm super excited today to speak to director Daniel J. Clark. And uh, he made a flat earth documentary, Behind the Curve. Uh, this was at Hot Docs. Um, and I was unable to, we, were, we tried to reach out, um, connect, and the schedule didn't align. But thankfully, Behind the Curve is going to be on Netflix starting February 15th. So it's uh, just in time or just right after Valentine's Day if you want to uh, Netflix and chill <laughs> with uh, Flat Earthers. It is a fascinating documentary. Um, if you have a chance, do check it out. It's, um, it's not an indictment of uh, their beliefs and it's not necessarily even a promotion of their beliefs. It's just an opportunity to kind of engage and to kind of get a glimpse of that world. Um, that to me is what the best documentaries do. It's a safe way to kind of get into this uh, world, to leave your world and to leave your beliefs aside for a moment and just kind of get into somebody else's world and see things from their perspective. I like science fiction. I like... Uh, space and aliens and i visit i've visited some friends at uh, nasa jpl whatever so uh i believe that they we did land on the moon and i believe that the earth is round but uh it's always just kind of fascinating that these kind of underground ideas eventually find some sort of mainstream hold or they're not quite as dead as we think they are ideas have a habit of sticking around Anyways, this is my interview with Daniel J. Clark, director of Behind the Curve. And as I said, it'll be on Netflix starting on February 15th. Thank you, Daniel, for calling in. Before we discuss Behind the Curve, your Flat Earth documentary, uh, you were an editor on a science fiction or science uh, TV show, In Search Of. Can you describe what that show is and like what drew you to that show? Sure. Uh, before... Actually, I we, we had finished Behind the Curve before I worked on In Search Of. Uh, okay. They came out in a different order, but mm -hmm. I'd actually we'd finished the movie prior to uh, to working on that because both Nick Andrews, the editor of Behind the Curve, and I both worked on In Search Of. Uh, in Search Of is a remake of the Leonard Nimoy series uh, of the same name. I think it was from the '90s mm -hmm. on History Channel. And it was Leonard Nimoy would uh, explore different topics, and a lot of it was pseudoscience, you know, speculation, you know, aliens, do they exist, Bigfoot, that kind of thing. And this show kind of a, in search of, was kind of a reiteration of that. You had the new Spock as well. Yeah, that was the thing, yeah. They, they got the new Spock, Zachary Quinto, to, uh, to host it. But he was a little more hands-on than, I guess, Leonard Nimoy was in the original. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was just like a like a History Channel show, a bit more pseudoscience than I was really in love with. But you know, it was fun. It was like uh, it was a good time. We explored aliens and sinkholes and kind of offbeat topics. I learned a lot editing it. I don't know how much the audience learned watching it. Yeah, but I I bring it up because you you have a physics degree. Is that correct? I have a minor in physics. Minor. In I physics. have an audio engine audio engineering degree from my undergrad, and then a film degree is my master's. But yeah, I studied physics and electronics specifically in college. I did. In high school, I was really into physics. <laughs> was any of that prompted by either working on, like, as an editor on In Search Of or your physics minor? Was any of that prompted uh, by consuming science fiction? You mean deciding to work on it or yeah. deciding to study it? 
Or are you a nerd, I guess? I'm more of a nerd. I'm not really into sci-fi per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't dislike sci-fi. I'm just not a huge fan of any of the franchises that are out there. I don't go berserk. I'll watch the movies or, you know, see what's out there. But, no, I, I've just always been, I was a musician, and I was always fascinated by the way sound worked. And so that was my entry point into physics and figuring out, okay, why does this happen when I play a guitar string this way or when I hit a drum this way? Why is it doing what it's doing? And uh, I kept going on that tangent through college, and that became my degree with a lot of electronics and how sound works and things like that. But also along the way, you know, you have to do applied physics. So I learned about equilibrium and gravity and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you are a musician and you have a physics minor and now you decide to make Behind the Curve. So explain what the documentary is about. Behind the Curve is a documentary about the Flat Earth movement in the year 2017, essentially. Uh, it is not a debate about what the Flat Earthers think and if it's right or wrong. It is not a back and forth between scientists disagreeing with Flat Earth claims. Uh, it's, it's about beliefs and why flat earthers believe what they believe and how that applies to humans in general not just flat earthers but people with strong political ideologies with uh different you know religious backgrounds why someone can hold on to something so tightly that they can never be shaken from their beliefs and flat earth is is i think the most extreme example of that something that people from all walks of life whether political, whatever political side you're on, whatever religion you are, I think a lot of, you know, 99% of people can look at flat earth and say, well, that's wrong and provably wrong. But what is it that these people are, why is it that these people still believe it? Mm-hmm. And if our hope is, our genuine hope from the film is that someone watches it and sees it and applies that to things that they believe. So... You know, I'm a little superstitious, which I know is an irrational thing, you know, but I'm going to knock on wood regardless because <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so like those kind of like little little things like that that we all do, you know, little things and then also much bigger things. We all do things that uh, other people think is completely wrong, but we don't think they're wrong and, and we hold on to them for, you know whatever reason so you touched upon a couple of things um what was harder in terms of trust was it getting the flat earthers to talk to you on camera as you said knowing that you won't ridicule them or getting people to see this doc because uh, again you talked about that just in your opening statement like because people were kind of deep a lot of people were deeply upset you were you're either like supporting quote-unquote supporting or promoting a harmful idea so what was harder in terms of trust was it getting the flat earthers on camera or getting people to the doc um that's a great question. I think getting people on camera wasn't actually that difficult because a lot of these people that we interviewed were from YouTube. So they were already public. They weren't trying to hide their identity. And they were very happy to get a bit of publicity for themselves. We've talked to some people, and I, and, and I had a genuine concern. You know, is this film going to spread flat earth as a concept and almost, you know, in, in a way legitimize it? Because mm-hmm. You know, there's a documentary about it. It must there must be something to it. I think that's a hurdle that uh, we have we had to get over. But we just uh, we talked to a science communicator recently who said that, in her opinion, this film 
more uh, inoculate people. You know, it stops the conspiracy from settling. I think because once you see the logic behind why people believe things and you see these people and their infighting and all that stuff, it kind of diminishes the appeal of flat earth. I don't know if that's entirely true, and obviously nothing can be for certain. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone sees a movie and decides that, oh, it proves flat earth, I'm going to believe this now, that's not something I can control. I don't know where they would have gotten that from, but it's not something I can control how someone interprets something. Yeah. You know, our hope is that the messaging, people don't see it and think it's a pro-flat earth documentary. And I hope people don't see it thinking or expecting it to think like one by one, take take apart the flat earth um, theories and, and models because there are a million YouTube videos that do that. So there's no point in making a documentary that does that. So we're more interested in the personal aspect of it and why people can believe things like this. Mark Sargent, uh, the the main character or the main uh, person that you've kind of followed in the documentary, is a really prominent flat earther. He made a really interesting mm-hmm. point early on in the documentary, and I felt it was kind of reinforced by the conference in in Raleigh, North Carolina, in that this movement, this conspiracy theory, it's not necessarily that ugly or dark compared to other conspiracy theories. And there was... Uh, as you mentioned, there is some infighting, but there's also quite a bit of love and warmth and acceptance. This is like a mm-hmm. tribe. So did, with your interactions, did you find this to be true, that there was a lot of warmth and a lot of love? Uh, and this was kind of like not a necessarily a sinister mm-hmm. conspiracy theory, because we kind of go X-Files uh, dark, right, with our with our conspiracy theories. Right. And, you know, it, it's kind of it's two things, at least two things. You know, if you're a flat earther, you probably... And in, in our experience, at least, most likely believe in many, many other conspiracies beyond that. So a lot of flat earthers are also Sandy Hook deniers and 9-11 truthers. So it's a gateway drug. Conspiracies, excuse me? It's like a gateway drug or a gateway uh, conspiracy theory. Yeah, I think it's almost like, you know, the the end of the road, so to speak. You know, you can keep digging deeper and deeper and flat earth kind of is this really interesting uh apex that people hit because if the shape of the earth is being covered up then it's obvious that they're able to cover up everything else Mm -hmm. so it kind of answers a lot of questions you know in in some conspiracy theorists mind now a lot of conspiracy theorists stop before flat earth and they say no not that i'm focused strictly on this but there is a lot of darkness in the other ones because a lot of them deal directly with events or tragedies that have happened to real people. And when you talk about flat earth, you know, there's not a whole lot of direct evidence that comes from this being a conspiracy. You know, it's like Sandy Hook deniers, that's really painful for the parents of those children. Yeah. And it's, it's very aggressive. And, and 9-11 truth is kind of the same thing. Like you're denying these victims or the, the survivors their, you know, right to to claim that they were victims and i think that's pretty horrible but with flat earth yeah it is is kind of a community and i'd say it's more like a family Mm -hmm. because they don't all believe exactly the same models or theories or you know they they follow the dogma of certain people like some people will be very focused on eric dubay and mass powerland and these are flat earthers and then so a lot of people will be focused on Mark because he's, he's like, you know, like the happy version and, and Eric Dubay is more of the darker version. 
but they're all a family and so they're in that family there's going to be a lot of love but there's going to be some infighting and all families don't work perfectly all the time and i think the same is true with the flat earthers and this is very broadly speaking i, I want to you know i don't want to say that you know any flat earther can be defined by one characteristic because it's just they're just people and none of us can really fit into a nice little box as much as we'd like that yeah i mean we that's why i was picking up on that thread because like the media kind of uh references a lot of these kind of faceless groups like anti-vaxxers or trump voters or occupy and if you don't really uh, like encounter engage any of these people it just always kind of comes across as a threat like this large mass of group mm -hmm. of people like, I know people who are active in Black Lives Matter, so that movement has a couple of faces. So it's not necessarily, I don't view it necessarily as like a large movement now. I just view it through the lens of those people that I know and I hear their stories. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Because when you, when you see a personal, I, I think of uh, Sarah Silverman's show, I Love You, America. You know, one of the very first episodes, she went to spend time with the quote-unquote Trump family. Mm -hmm. And... She, they all got along well. They believe different things, but it's so easy to demonize someone from another tribe, so to speak, as you, quote-unquote, mm -hmm. that, you know, it, it, and it's also comforting. So, so when you talk about flat earthers and, you know, if you're not a flat earther, you feel a bit threatened by these people who can maybe deny all this science and, and overlook everything that you see as kind of the bedrock to your world, you know, literally. Uh <laughs> And, and, you know, and, and it really, it, it scares people. I, I really, maybe not consciously, but it definitely, it's a lot easier to put them in a box and say, well, flat earthers are this or that. Mm -hmm. You know, they're conspiracy theorists. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm okay. They're the crazy ones. It's really easy to say that, but I think when you meet people from any you know, opposing viewpoint as you, it's a lot harder to not, it, it's hard to not empathize with their position and understand where they're coming from. You can still not believe it and you can still disagree, but I think it's so easy to just demonize another group. Yeah. Our movie really pleads that you should get to know people before you, you know, write them off. Yeah, because, I mean, you can fall into the us and them and you could always, like, even just the term flat earthers, it's really dismissive, but mm -hmm. then when you actually hang out or you talk to somebody like Mark Sargent, uh, in person, then it's not like it's an actual person. Yeah. And you even like humanize him a little bit at the beginning where like uh, his mom is making him dinner or lunch or whatever it was. And mm -hmm. uh, she was like, this is his favorite food. And like uh, he was all excited. And you know what I mean? So yeah, it's like Absolutely. like it's nice when your mom makes you your favorite food. <laughs> like, it is. That's and universal. His mother could not be nicer. She is one of the sweetest women I've ever met. And Mark is also a sweetheart. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a very nice and personable guy. And he and I talked a lot about movies and things way other than Flat Earth. Yeah. But when it came down to it, you know, Flat Earth was his focus. And, you know, he's, that's what he believes deep down. So it was, it was always interesting to have these conversations with the different people in the film. And then, you know, we'd get back onto Flat Earth. And then it would kind of wash over me like, oh, this person sees this world completely differently than I do from a very fundamental perspective. So it's interesting to get along with someone so well for a while and then kind of have that wave wash over you. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of pick up on that because there's a phrase that Mark and Patricia and a few other flat earthers in your documentary, they use, they, the phrase is we're winning. And that was kind of like, it's almost oh. like they were keeping score a little bit. And then, yeah, 
is that a result of our culture declaring war on flat earthers and dismissing them as crazy? Or do flat earthers kind of view their stance as a declaration of war on our culture and our ignorance? Like you were just saying, like, yeah, uh, that's a tough question. I know, I know what you're asking and I, and I really like the question and I want to answer it properly. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a big question. I know. Yeah. Because I, I think it's, it's a very fundamental thing in human nature to just, cause it's so easy. Like there have been all these studies about, tribalism and putting people into groups and the outsources them how easy that is to uh to put someone into that mentality you know mm -hmm. if you just describe uh you say today like odds and evens and count people off and then you say odds over here evens over here people are going to really immediately draw their sides and just like have a bond with their own team and have an antagonistic relationship with the other just because these random numbers have been given out i don't know if that makes sense but it's you're talking about sports almost like sports is the yeah, analogy exactly. right like our team is better than your team and then the mayors will make bets and stuff in the playoffs and things like that yeah. like yeah sports is great and like i live in a city so i care about my team mm -hmm. that i've never seen or talked to <laughs> or know anything about but they're my city's team and that's where I, you know that kind of thing it's so easy to be drawn to that so i think that's part of it but i also think that um you, you, it's mm. <laughs> it's more legitimizing to have an enemy than to have no one care about what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So when they have NASA in the film, you're, you're referencing a point where they say they're winning. They're in a NASA space center. It's mm -hmm. like a little museum. It's it's really not great. We were also there a couple weeks after, or like a week after Hurricane Harvey had hit. Houston and so it was pretty empty and kind of not in the best shape and they kept saying you know we're winning folks like none of this works this is all really lame which you know there's an argument to be made that it's not a great museum sure but <laughs> to say that we're winning because their museum is not as nice as we would want it to be mm -hmm. is just kind of assuring yourself that there's an enemy out there who's trying to beat you so like if if they had a really nice museum, they would say something, and this is me speculating, obviously, but they would say something along the lines of, look how much money they're putting into this to try to convince other people. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of whatever the quote-unquote enemy does, they're going to see it as a victory for them. Either the enemy's putting too much time and money and investment into something like SpaceX launching the, the Tesla Roadster into space, I thought it was really cool. I was like, I was my, my mind was blown. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. But they said, like, look how much money they spent in CGI trying to fake this just to prove the Earth is not flat, not mm -hmm. flat. So they saw that as a victory, also because that the enemy had to do all this backflipping to to convince people that the Earth wasn't flat because they were getting scared, quote-unquote, that the flat earthers were rising. Yeah. Watching the documentary... I don't know if any of that connected. But. It does connect, because what I was going to ask was, like, there was I was reading, um, there's a guy, Professor Roland Imhoff of uh, Johannes Gutenberg University in Germany, and he wanted to study uh, certain people and their beliefs, and in particular, he chose conspiracy theorists. And... Um, he realized quickly on that facts weren't the issue here, right? They can't be because it's pretty obvious. Um, so what we what he found was that 
um, that these people, uh, conspiracy theorists, were taking comfort in their standing as outliers. So this is kind of echoing what you just said. And they're searching for a feeling, not necessarily a logical truth. And his actual quote, Professor Imhoff, he said, Adherence to conspiracy theory might not always be the result of some perceived lack of control, but rather a deep-seated need for uniqueness. Which kind of echoed like a lot of the like the people that are in your documentary, like mm-hmm. Patricia and Mark Sargent, like they were really, I guess I'm not sure if determined is the right word, but just to kind of be unique or to stand out or to have a presence. Yeah, I, I well, I mean, everybody loves well, maybe not everybody, but most people I would say like the attention. You know, I I I'm being interviewed by you right now, and I personally think it's great. I'm very excited to be here and talk to you. So if I'm a flat earther and I'm getting that same attention, it feels good. And, you know, I, I think that's a, a natural desire for everybody to feel a bit special. I don't know how much that applies directly to everybody in the film, but I think for some of them, surely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this need to, to be a little different, to have your thing. Some people do it other ways. Some people subscribe to conspiracy theories. Because I think there is a bit of, and, and definitely some of the people we've talked to, there's a bit of superiority that's associated with it. It's like you know something that other people don't see. And that makes you a little smarter and it gives you a bit of an edge on the rest of society who's maybe walking around blindly following the government and you know societal norms because they're quote-unquote sheep, that kind of thing. You know, it, it feels a little bit better. And I think you see this in teenagers all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Do you see them just like say like you know I'm not going to trust the system I'm going to be my own person, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's similar in a way. And I'm not, you know, a psychologist. I haven't studied this besides my own interactions, but yeah, I think it's interesting to to see it from that perspective. Yeah, of, yeah, they're just they're just making themselves a place in the world. Yeah, it's a lot like a stand-up comic, right? Like you you kind of go out and you throw out a whole bunch of jokes, and then you kind of see what sticks and what's funny. And if there's a certain type of, even if the the jokes are maybe a little bit uh, crass or like at the expense of your wife or something, you kind of keep doubling down on them because it it feeds the audience and there's like that's they're reacting to it. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of kind of friends, but yeah, yeah, you're you're just kind of trying to find your voice, mm-hmm. and once you find it, you gotta kind of roll with it, I think, and kind of. Following up on that, on um, the whole thing of when we were talking about their winning and like being unique and kind of standing out, is this an American story? Your documentary is it an American story in the sense that Americans also love either being an underdog or championing the underdog, and this idea that you're a flat earther mm-hmm. is like you're going up against, you're basically going uphill against the whole like globe culture or whatever we are <laughs> considered. You know what I mean, like. Being the underdog yeah. is a powerful, uh, intoxicating myth in American culture. Oh man, Americans love underdogs. Yeah, <laughs> we're back to sports, which is, which is kind of crazy though. Well, it's also like you know wars, right? Well, mm-hmm. maybe not now, but it's kind of it is very ironic because we love underdogs, but we want to be a, the superpower number one of everything. So mm-hmm. whatever. But it's, I would say that flat earthers are not unique to America at all, because um, there are plenty that are Canadian and a lot of Australians and people from all over the world. There was a conference in South Korea recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been told that Estonia has a bunch of flat earthers. So I don't, I don't know why. Um, I can't confirm that, but mm-hmm. 
that's, uh, but I think there's something to that. And I, I don't know exactly what that would be. Yeah. I like that theory. I like that thought though. <laughs> there definitely yeah. is like a David versus Goliath element to it where, you know, it's, it's, it's actually kind of convenient. And I don't say that in any necessarily diminutive ways, but it's convenient to have an enemy or a foe that you can't ever possibly beat. Mm-hmm. So if your enemy is the world government, that is a shadow government that works behind the scenes of the official government, quote unquote, then there's no way that you are going to defeat them by thinking about like sitting out on Hollywood Boulevard, telling people the earth is flat. Yeah. But you can see your con- contribution as kind of evangelizing flutters and telling people about it. So at least you did your part to make sure they were aware because as a single person, they can't take it like, you know, change, change it. But if everybody's onto it, then, you know, they can uh, rise up together. You just use the term evangelizing and is it you, the, you got in trouble, I guess, for lack of a better term, you got in trouble for making this documentary and for people worried that you were promoting this harmful idea. And, is it very similar to like uh, Christians and atheists where they may not see eye to eye, but their beliefs don't necessarily impact each other? I know that's a generalization, but you know what I'm getting at? Like, can we coexist mm-hmm. or is this like, <laughs> like Mark Sargent says, one of us has to win. Like it's a zero sum game. Uh, hmm. First of all, I don't know if I got in trouble. So. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know what the word to use. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, you know, some people have brought that up, but it's not like an overwhelming mm-hmm. sensation. But um, interesting, like, so you're saying that Christians and atheists don't need each other to believe the same things as long as we're agreeing on like a social contract kind of deal? Yeah. I mean, we per- we coexist, right? And atheists get yeah. Easter weekend off and <laughs> they get uh, Christmas sure. week <laughs> off or whatever, depending on where they work. Sure, and, sure. Um, New Year's, yeah. yeah, and I mean, like, it's not like there's an open war necessarily where, like, uh, there's not the same kind of tensions, I guess. And I know that's a generalization because I know there is, like, Bible Belt and things like that in the States. But as a generalization, like, they seem to kind of, they found a way to kind of coexist without clashing. I I think it's, well, I just, uh, I had an interview recently with a Brazilian reporter. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that when... They, they had a new election, and the elected official, I think it was like the uh, science secretary, something like that, mm-hmm. um, came out and said, I do believe the Earth is round. And there was a sigh of relief because they thought they might have elected a flat earther or that <laughs> a flat earther might have been appointed. And I think that's the difference. Is And I think it, it could be true with like really strong religious beliefs and very like literal beliefs that – it's not a problem until that person is making decisions for other people mm-hmm. and those decisions can be harmful. So the problem with flat earthers is not necessarily people believing in the flat earth. It's them defunding NASA because, you know, somehow a flat earther gets a position of authority in the government. And this is me, you know, you know, rabbit holing, you know, downward spiral sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That person gets a position in the government and you're seeing it with a lot of other smaller issues for sure, especially like climate change, like Trump is, is whatever. But they're making decisions that really strongly impact us all. 
and really slow the progress of the, the world and, you know, countries individually. But if you're a big enough country, that affects the entire world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it becomes a problem. So, and, and you see it too with religion. If you have someone who's very strict, strictly religious, and their beliefs, you know, a literal biblical interpretation or whatever, maybe denomination you want to go with, their impact, their beliefs could impact people's well-being and their place in society. You know, if, if they don't subscribe to the same beliefs, and, and you see that with atheists also. You know, mm-hmm. um, people of religious beliefs being persecuted for having their beliefs. So it's it's tough to say we coexist peacefully on any spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when one person is given absolute authority to make decisions for everyone else. So I'm definitely going worst case scenario slippery slope, but I, I don't think it's beyond reason to think that that could happen in the future. It's happened in the past. For yeah, sure. I know we have history as our guide, right? Like we know who we are by now, and uh, yeah. when there are different options and choices um, to go back. Like you just recently mentioned Trump. I mean, that was kind of like the shock and the surprise that, like, that he won. It was like, I thought we were all past that stuff, right? That was the <laughs> idea and the belief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing to go into another time. Yeah, it's a different documentary. But I do want to pick up on this idea of um, the kind of like the spectrum and the, the different beliefs. And I find it fascinating that we continue to frame the, the flat earth argument debate uh, whatever you want to call it, as like it's a science issue or a rationale issue, right? When the way you kind of framed the documentary, the, what I took away from your documentary was you framed it more as like a mental health. It's related to empathy. It's related to kindness. Why is it easier to advocate for science than it is to advocate for like empathy or even love? Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. Uh... Yeah, can you fix us on like the planet? <laughs> That's why I'm asking you these big questions. Because I figured you, you're a documentary yeah. filmmaker. You can just fix it all and we'll be done. Yeah, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's easier to ask for science because that's a tangible thing. Mm-hmm. And asking people to empathize, it's really frustrating, actually, because politicians, I think, are really feeding into the tribalism of society. Mm-hmm. You know, it's us versus them somehow. And, you know, like most people are more moderate than the extremes and the pundits that are on TV. And I'm using politics as an analogy because it's just a lot simpler. People are kind of, it's fresh in my mind at least. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially in the U.S. right now, it's, it's the Republicans versus the Democrats, the conservatives versus the liberals. And there are these set of issues that are very polarized. And I think more people than not fall into the middle bracket of what that would be, not towards the edges. And I think we're rewarded or we're at least shown on television these extreme edges. And I think we would be better off if politicians gave a little credit every now and then, you know, and... I'm not hearkening back to any good old days because there really wasn't, Mm -hmm. but there was a little bit more civility in politics, at least what I can see occasionally, not always, (laughs) but you know, just like someone has a good idea for a fix for healthcare. They should get, they should talk about it. 
And if someone has like an interesting fix for, you know, immigration policy or voting rights, I don't see why we always have to say it's the other person's idea. So therefore it's a bad idea. And I think there's a lot of contributing factors to why that might be right now. And, you know, there's also a big argument to say that that's always been the case, but you know, you don't win on moderation. You don't win a, an election being nice to the other candidate mm-hmm. because, you know, that's not what people vote for. And I think that has been exploited in people to say, like, you're either with me or against me. It's the tribe mentality again. Yeah. I mean, not to, to really weigh too much on that, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, to ask someone to, to reach out and see it from their perspective you, you you imagine a politician going on whatever news channel you want and say well you know imagine it from their perspective they they did this and you know like they they grew up in this household because that's immediately you can even feel it like that's immediately going to be met with like that's no excuse this is this this is this like they're doing it wrong they're wrong mm-hmm. and you're bad for even thinking that they could be you know, justified in what they're thinking. Because empathy is not the same as justification for someone's actions. It's just kind of seeing where they come from. And I think we're uh, probably combining those two a little too often. That's I fair. <laughs> I don't have any answer. <laughs> speculation. But, but, you know, there's something, there's something to that. There's something to empathy is not rewarded in the way that it should be. Mm-hmm. It definitely was a theme. Like you emphasize it in the documentary. That's why I'm not like yeah. necessarily like come to you like no, no, no. You're absolutely like right. not like a Dalai Lama or something. And or you know what I mean with your Zen wisdom necessarily. But but I thought it was an interesting choice that you went that route. Uh, like you said, you had a couple of options whether to like make a documentary where you discount these people or their theories or their ideas. But you actually kind of doubled down on empathy, which I thought was an interesting uh, artistic choice. Well, I mean that's that's more just where I come from is, you know, trying to understand someone rather than trying to label them or mm-hmm. you know, diagnose them. We'll end on this one. Cause I was curious throughout the documentary, there's a couple of mentions of dinosaurs and they're kind of like dinosaurs are fake. There's kind mm-hmm. of like a little bit of pushback, but not much regarding like Christian biblical values of how like old the earth is and those kind of things. Where does aliens fit into this? Is aliens just fake <laughs> as well? Like dinosaurs or like, how oh, does man. it work? There, are, I mean, there are a couple of fascinating little theories that pop up every now and then from just various people. Like nobody really, there's no agreed because aliens on one hand, and this is just going off of all the flat earth models that I've experienced in my time. Cause there are several, mm-hmm. um, there are some that, you know, is a hollow earth theory, which means the aliens actually come from within the earth. There's, you know, aliens are actually God or, or some iteration of that checking on us. If people believe in aliens at all. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other one where there's there's a map that we show in the movie briefly, but it's it's floating around the internet where it's our flat Earth in the middle, uh, surrounded by an ice wall. But that ice wall on the other side of it is an entirely other set of continents, which some flat Earthers claim is uh, like a utopian world where all the elite and rich go, and the shadow government operates from out there. <laughs> and they're so far advanced that they have this technology that, to us, that's what we interpret as spacecraft and aliens, you know, ET, or ET, not the ET, UFOs, mm-hmm. and different things like that. So, uh, 
it gets pretty interesting when you get when you get the different theories. Um, so aliens don't necessarily fit in any convenient way, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of theories on how they might work into it. Okay. So the documentary will be on Netflix. The documentary is coming out to Netflix on Friday, February 15th. So that's two days from now. Um, is it on the other streaming services as well? It is. It's also available. If you buy it on iTunes, if you buy it, there are bonus scenes and a commentary from the producers and myself. Mm-hmm. So if you want a little more of this, <laughs> <laughs> uh, plus like a glass of, of rum or whatever, that is on the commentary track of the iTunes. But it's also available on Amazon Video, so you can rent it there, and Google Play and YouTube. And I think that's it. So iTunes, Amazon, Google, yeah. And, and if people have questions like where the aliens fit in, uh, where can people find you online to ask you and talk to you? Uh, my Twitter is DJT Film, and I think that's also my Instagram. And then you can also visit the website of the film at BehindTheCurveFilm.com. All right. It's a fascinating documentary. Like, I mean, the whole point of every documentary is you get a window into somebody's world. And this was kind of like a safe way to kind of like <laughs> peer over <laughs> the ledge. And because uh, sure. you don't want to uh, like pollute your search history or something like that. And Google's like, oh, you're one of those. <laughs> right. So uh, thank you for making uh, Behind the Curve and uh, allowing us to kind of like check out into that world and to see uh, what the flat earthers are like. So thank you. My pleasure. Great talking. We're done. I think we covered everything. We uh, we covered okay. aliens. We covered tribes. We covered Trump in America. Um, <laughs> did we, co- we miss anything else? And I think you fixed everything with your spiritual Zen wisdom. So the world should be a much better place now, right? Oh, man, that was easy. Yeah. Should have done this sooner. Yeah, I don't know why you waited so long. Uh, again, it's like sports, right? You wait for the last second, right? That's where the heroics are. Oh, right, are. yeah. And, Underdog uh, comeback. Yeah. yeah, and then you make the uh, the last minute shot, and everybody's like, "Good, yay!" But oh, yeah, man. if there's something Americans like more than an underdog, it's a comeback. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true too. Yeah. So, <laughs> but again, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Great questions. I really appreciate them. Oh, cool. Thank Great you. Discussion. Thank you, Daniel J. Clark, the director of Behind the Curve, for uh, calling in and. Uh, just hanging out at My Summer Lair. I'm your host, Sam Yunin. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at MyPalSammy. Thank you for listening.